What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belle Bid DeVoe. This is Julie Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This is Invo. This is India Ari. Oh, much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. One of our favorite movies is back, this time as a TV series. You probably binge-watched it during the holidays. We've got the man behind The Best Man. And they may be calling it the final chapters, but is it really? We've got that plus black men and mental health. Cafe Mocha begins now. On the line is Dr. Judith Joseph. She is a psychiatrist. Welcome to Cafe Mocha. Can we call you Dr. Judy? It's like, no. Yes, Dr. Judith is fine. Thank you. (laughs) And thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Judith. You know, we've invited you because... The world is just devastated. You know, this country, we were such a fan of Twitch Boss and the loss through suicide is just so difficult for people to understand, for people to, I mean, in a moment like this, what do you say to people who are just trying to get their head around this happening? I mean, first of all, it's devastating and I feel really terrible for his family. It is you know, such a loss uh, to everyone because he was such a bright light. And especially after so many years of bad news, I think it feels like a loss for, for us all. And we, it's hard to wrap our heads around it. And I think that the message that I give to everyone is that suicide is something that we as psychiatrists don't even fully understand. So the fact that you're feeling confused and helpless, uh, that's, that's okay. That is a very valid way to feel about something like this because we as mental health professionals, we feel this way every single time this happens to someone prominent. I mean, is it always the happy? I mean, because everyone was saying they didn't see the signs. He was so happy. Everyone was like, oh my God, they were, they're showing posts of him. 24 hours before, 24 hours before, is that just a sign? Is that, is that a mask that you see a lot of depressed people use? And so I think that, you know, this is the thing about suicide. We understand depression. We understand bipolar disorder. We understand substance abuse. Suicide is one of those topics that we don't fully understand. So yes, somebody can have depression and, and commit suicide, But at the same time, in my field, we see people who don't have any symptoms of depression committing suicide. And the way I think about it is that there are these three buckets, right? So you have people who have internal conflicts, that's one bucket. And when I say internal conflicts, these are people who have, you know, severe depression, anxiety, histories of trauma, uh, you know, medical conditions. And so those are internal conflicts. Then you have people who have external conflicts, like, you know, they're using substances because that's something that's out of your body that enters the body and changes things and changes the way you behave or even some medications. You know, those are external factors. They enter the body. They change the way you behave. Toxins, poisons, they enter the body. They can change the way you behave. And then there's that third bucket, and that's the impulsive suicide. So that's something like, there's a financial scandal and you don't want to face it. So you feel like death is the only way out or, you know, there's a crisis or a tragedy in your life. And you're like, okay, this is the only option I see right now. And you impulsively do it. So, and this is the way that I think about suicide, because if you think that it's just 
always depression that leads to this, then that's going to leave you confused because there are people that walk around that don't have depression that end up committing suicide. And so that's, that's why I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess it does. Um, I mean, the most important thing you said is that you as, you know, professionals don't understand it. So it sort of makes sense that we wouldn't either. Uh, I wonder, I wonder the sense of desperation, like when someone you know commits suicide or a public figure commits suicide, you know, there's the sense of, well, gosh, if that person's life sucks, is there hope for me? You know, for the people who literally are struggling day after day with depression or anxiety or deciding day by day whether they want to wake up or not, is there the the threat of you know, sort of a spiraling when incidents like these happen, if you know what I mean? There is. And there's something called a suicide contagion. And that's how, you know, when we talk about suicide, we want to be careful to send a message of hope because there is something called suicide contagion where you hear about, uh, you know, suicides happening to people that you didn't expect it happening in or people that you knew. And then you start pondering, well, you know what, if that person did it, maybe that is a way out, right? And that's why, you know, when we hear about suicides, we're very careful in our messaging around it, that we talk about how there are options, that a, a lot of the data shows that, yes, we don't fully understand it, but there's also strong data that shows that people who have not successfully completed a suicide attempt regret it in the last seconds, you know, the last minutes of, of their suicide attempt. And they realize that, you know what, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I, I regret it immediately. And so when we do talk about suicide and contagion, we talk about the fact that most people do end up regretting it, especially those who, you know, have these failed suicide attempts and, and are able to talk about it. What are they regretting? Are they regretting that they failed? Or they, I mean, I'm assuming they're regretting that they tried to begin with. Mm-hmm. What they're looking back on and, and typically they're realizing that, you know, how, how is this going to affect my family? And you know what? There were points of my life that, that were positive, that were not completely hopeless. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that especially in cases like this where a lot of the people who knew him are speaking out and saying there were no signs. You know, we didn't see depression. We didn't see being withdrawn. We didn't see crime. We didn't, we didn't hear any of these red flags. And I think that, you know, people in those last minutes are realizing that actually it wasn't completely hopeless. There were other options. I could have shared this with someone. And, and, and how is this going to impact my family? These are the things that people think in the minutes leading up to suicide. We also know that a lot of females try to attempt suicide and have failed attempts. So while the lethal attempts in males are more successful, Females actually uh, try to commit suicide at rates that are much higher than men. And so when these, you know, females speak out, they say, you know, there was always something I could have done. There's always someone I could have reached out to. There's something that I regretted in those last minutes. And so the messaging around suicide and attempts is really important because the contagion is real. You know, when people see a successful attempt, they think, well, that's a possible solution to my problems. But 
What I'm saying is that the, the survivors of failed suicide attempts are saying there was always something else that could have been done. And I think that's the messaging that's important, that there's always hope. Cafe Mocha, we're talking to Dr. Judith Joseph. She is a psychiatrist. Um, if someone is struggling right now, what's your recommendation? Where should they call? You know, we, we put out the suicide hotline a lot, and I think it's important because calling someone is not something that, you know, younger people want to do, but there's texting options, there are messaging options, and I think that you know, that's a, a great place to start. I also think that reaching out to people who personally know you is is probably better because a lot of times, at least with the patients that I treat, when they reach out to hotlines, you know, they, they worry. They worry that um, no one's going to respond. And so, you know, I think reaching out to people that you know is important. Um, if you're in therapy, reaching out to your therapist is important. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but as someone who has struggled with depression and who has smiled through a lot of stuff, I know that I've picked up the phone and it's been a desperate, terrible day and I'll just act like everything is normal. (laughs) And so I imagine because we wanted we're talking about black men, I imagine it's even more difficult for men and specifically black men. How do you break through that wall of, I don't want to call it fakeness, but going mm-hmm. through the motionness, yeah. everything is fineness. Oh, I'm okayness. How do you get past that? That's a great um, question, and I think that for Black men, um, there's that stigma that I'm weak or I'm burdening someone, and that people aren't going to care about me right, that my, my pain is not going to matter as much. There are great organizations. Uh, one, of, one of the um, ones that I recommend is uh, Black Men Heal. And, you know, they give free therapy sessions specifically for Black men. So I feel like, you know, that is a great avenue where, you know, specifically Black men can turn to if they don't want to necessarily put their information out there. Um, and then, you know, personally, you know, in my work with uh, black patients, there's this worry that, you know, people who don't look like you will not understand what you're going through and will not care. And so I think that, you know, organizations where the focus is black mental health are really important. They're really crucial uh, to delivering care that I think is culturally competent and compassionate. Um, and, you know, a lot of the black patients that I treat, their first therapist is not necessarily a mental health provider. We know that the wait lines are really long. The, the wait lists are really long in terms of people who are on your insurance or just taking new patients. So um, many people go to faith-based leaders who now have that mental health training, that counseling training. And so you feel like, you know, if you don't want to specifically go to a waiting area a waiting room and have your business out there, right. you know, you can go to you know a faith-based leader and talk to counseling services within uh, these, you know, community-based settings where you feel more comfortable before you make that very important step of you, finding a mental health provider. I've noticed that, you know, it's younger and younger, you know, when we were coming up, my generation, I'm a seventies baby. 
my mother would say, go ahead, jump, do it. You know, now you're hearing it much more with this younger generation, our children saying, you know, and we didn't really have it that much before when I was coming up, I would say, I'm going to kill myself. You know, I don't want to be here, you know, and it was just an anger to make those who hurt me feel bad. I think this generation of children that we are raising because of the medication, because of the depression, because of the things that they've been through and whatever they're going through psychologically, emotional, mental, health-wise, otherwise. I think parents are really struggling with trying to understand how to be impactful when our mom used to say, do it, jump, go, go, leave, do whatever you want to do. How do we help our children who are saying to us, I'm going to kill myself? You know, I think that, when parents hear things like that, think about how you feel as a parent when you hear your child is hurting. You feel helpless, right? Because the child is projecting onto you that they feel helpless, that they don't know what to do. And as a lot of times as parents, we take on that helplessness in the form of, okay, I got to do something to fix this. So rather than listening, which is very free, and we can all listen. It's something we all know how to do but we don't do it enough. And instead of listening, we want to offer solutions. Well, you know, how can you be sad? Like you have nothing to worry about. You have resources, you have, you know, a roof, you have a comfortable life, but that's not what this generation wants to hear. They don't want to hear solutions. They want you to listen to them. And it sounds a lot easier than it is, you know, but one of my good friends, Dr. Jen Harstein, she says, when your child is asking you, is telling you about something that is extremely vulnerable and painful, like imagine putting your hands under your lap and don't move because what you need to do is to just listen. Don't try to do anything. Don't try to problem solve. Mm-hmm. That in itself is something that I feel a lot of us as black parents don't do enough because, and this is, this is probably a little controversial, but it's rooted in, in, in the history of racism and, and slavery. There's a lack of gentle parenting within the Black community because, you know, back in the day, if mm-hmm. someone stepped out of line, they could get hurt. They could get oppressed. They could get arrested. So there's this roughness in our parenting that stems from, from, from uh, slavery and from racism and, and systemic racism, where we, we want our kids to be in line because something bad could happen if they step out of line. But that has translated into generational trauma for our kids because we don't listen to them. We're not gentle. We're not empathic. And I think that educating ourselves as parents and learning how to be empathic parents and parents who listen, who allow their children to be still heard and validated, will go a very long way in terms of our children's mental health you know, and, and the next generation's mental health. This is really the second time I'm hearing in a matter of weeks about the rough edge of parents, uh, mm-hmm. of Black parents. And it's mm-hmm. not ever anything I, I thought about, you know, that we get, I don't want to say pushed a little harder, treated a little rougher because of what awaits us in the world. But that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, it is. And it, it stems, and I think understanding it, um, you know, it stems from, from, from uh, slavery, so, you know, one of um, one of the uh, things that we've learned within you know, healthcare disparities is that 
even in my field, psychiatry, which is historically a very non-diverse uh, field, uh, we know that you know black mental health wasn't even studied until recently because a lot of providers, you know, had this you know inherent belief that black people didn't have you know these high-level feelings, and that is rooted in slavery, right? Because you had to objectify. Um, black people so that you could enslave them. So you had to tell yourself, black people don't have feelings. They're not real people. They're, they're, they're not, they're beasts, right? And so, you know, people were, were treated as if they didn't have emotions. But we know that in recent data, over the past two years, that the, the suicide attempts, the, the, the risky behaviors have really skyrocketed in black youth. Because of all of this oppression, because of seeing, you know, um, brutality, because of systemic racism. And so it's, it's actually the opposite. And so when we, when we think about this, when we educate ourselves about why it is that parenting is, so, is viewed as being so rough within our communities, you know, comedians laugh about it, you know, like my grandma sent me to get a switch and so forth. The, the, I mean, the, the switch and, and, and to, you know, beat, beat yourself um, or like uh, you know, the spankings were so br brutal. You know, all of that is, is rooted really in, in, in slavery. And um, I think that as parents, we need to understand why it is um, certain, you know, cultures are so brutal in their parenting. It's not that we don't love our kids. It's because it came out of survival mode. We were trying to survive as, as parents, survive as communities. And, and understanding that and modifying that um, is really going to help us, especially when relating to our younger generation. Who are, who are more open-minded in terms of mental health issues. Mm. And I think that's so important because we deal with it so much, especially in the Black community. I, I, you know, I, I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 28-year-old daughter. I, I tell my daughter all the time, like, we didn't talk about death that much. You know, I remember telling my parent as a young girl, oh, I want to kill myself. And, you know, now when my daughter says it, I... I the help that we've received on Cafe Mocha, listening to experts talk about death, talk about suicide, talk about mental illness. It really allows me to have more patience, really sit on my hands because we grew up with our parents saying, do it, do it. Okay, do it. So I get it. And it, 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 it's happening more so than I would like to talk about. You know, I've had too many friends children commit suicide um you know um so i really do appreciate this conversation really yeah i mean it's it's a really um uh, it's a difficult conversation to have and i think a lot of people don't have it because it's so difficult right um i think that when you have children who are expressing pain you know rather it's it's so easy for us to jump and say oh my gosh we had to catastrophize it. My child is in pain. What do I do? What did I do wrong? What did she do wrong? You know, mm -hmm. what's happening? I think we need to just take a step back, right? Put the oxygen mask on ourselves first. You know, what is it that I'm feeling? Why am I feeling so helpless? Um, it's because she feels helpless. She must be in such tremendous pain because I feel pain for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you use a lot of empathy in parenting, it goes a long way. When you feel anxious and you're stressed, the last thing you want to hear is someone telling you to calm down. That infuriates you, right? <laughs> right? So when you use empathy in your parenting, 
put yourself in your child's shoes. They wanna feel heard. They wanna feel validated. They wanna be seen. And so that allows you to behave in a way that, that their, their needs met, you know? Yeah. And, I, and what you're talking about in terms of, you know, the older generations and, um, you know, a lot of times we were just talking at our kids, you know? Don't talk back at me. No, your child is trying to communicate with you. It's not talking back. If you feel a certain way when your child's being rude, okay, they're verbalizing something. They're communicating something to you. Listen, it may not be the way you want it to be expressed, but it is your job to mirror that for them. And I think when we use a lot of patience and gentleness in our parenting, it goes a longer way. You know, when we don't have, when we feel stretched thin, we have jobs, we have a lot of responsibilities. The easiest thing to do is to talk at your kids, right? Not to like allow them to talk with you, but think about the long-term goals. If you want to have open communication, you have to talk with them and not at them. Hmm, I like that word gentle. That's going to be my new word for the new year. Gentle. 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 <laughs> Dr. Judith. Yeah, I like it. Dr. Judith. Should we all just be in therapy or just some of us? I know I need therapy. <laughs> I think that, um, I think eventually there's going to be the annual checkup. You know, we have the, our insurance pays for the annual physical, right? But I think yeah. eventually we're going to move towards the annual mental health checkup right. because we all have brains and we, we all have mental health. We may not have a mental health condition, but we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. So we have to maintain our mental health the way that we maintain our physical health. So I think, I think moving down the line, you know, we will move towards a, a annual or biannual mental health checkup. Do we all need therapy? You know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. We benefit, everyone can benefit from, from therapy, from like reflection. Um, and I think that, um, there are ways that we can sustain our, our mental health and wellness without therapy, you know, or like in addition to therapy, such as I call it the five E's, like, you know, values every day, think about things that bring your life value and invest in those things. For me, it's, you know, supporting black owned brands. So the moment I have coffee in the morning, it's, it's gotta be like a black owned or like an indigenous brand. Um, and, you know, having something to look forward to a vision, so look forward to put something on your calendar that you're moving forward towards the, because we need to move forward rather than just reflecting on the past. Um, you know, venting. So venting could be talking to a friend, to a faith-based leader, um, or to your therapist. Uh, vitals, you know, getting good sleep, getting good movement, eating the right things, nutrition. Um, you know, and, and validation. You know, if we don't validate the way we feel, if we don't talk about what's happening, then we're not hearing ourselves out. We're not loving ourselves. So I call those the five E's. I think those are things you could do every day nice. to improve your wellness. Um, and, and it's not necessarily therapy driven, but it's in addition to therapy if, if that is you know, something that you're doing already. So values, vision, that, right? venting, mm-hmm. vitals, vitals being eat, sleep, exercise, pray, those sorts of things and validation. Mm-hmm. I love that, yeah. Dr. Judith. Dr. How- Judith, Judith, she bringing the Smith have to gain it. Just be gentle, baby. And <laughs> oh, <that's familiar. laughs> um, how do people reach you? 
<laughs> well, I'm putting out a bunch of videos um, that are in informational and um, and I, I think a bit witty, so they're a bit entertaining on TikTok and on Instagram. So Dr. Judith Joseph and um, follow me and I, I put them out daily. So um, let me know what you think. <laughs> okay, super. Thank you so much for thank joining you so us. so much. Yeah, thank you for all that great information. We, we need all of that. I'm going to practice my V's every day now. And gentle, and gentle. My pleasure. Yeah, gentle parenting. <laughs> Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians, Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist, Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary funky divas in vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, for advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. It's Cafe Mocha. It's Cafe Mocha. Angelique and Yo-Yo on the line. Writer, extraordinaire, producer, executive producer, the man Malcolm D. Lee, who has brought home to us some we've been craving for years now. The best man, the final chapters, now streaming on Peacock. Welcome, Mr. Malcolm D. Lee to Cafe Mocha. I am very glad to be here. Thank you so much. Congratulations. What is a problem bringing back the entire cast after 20 years? Well, fortunately, there was there was some time in between. You know, there was uh, there was, you know, the best man holiday, which was 14 years after the original. And that was great. And, you know, it got a chance to show everybody, remind everybody how talented this cast is and how special this group of college friends were. And then, you know, doing it, um, again, proved to be very difficult. Um, so much so that we, you know, needed to expand our storytelling to make it completely worth it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, these are actors who are very highly in demand mm -hmm. um, and have very busy schedules. But, you know, I think they all wanted to do it. They all wanted to revisit these characters one last time. And, um, 
you know, pay homage to the fans and pay homage to these characters. And um, so is that why you chose to do it as a series, as a limited series instead of a movie so that you could sort of take your time and tell the story and close it out the way you wanted to? Well, the truth of the matter is the, the intention was, was to do a third movie. Mm-hmm. And I wrote one um, for Universal Pictures. And then I had a fourth movie in mind that I had not written, but it just, I, I knew how I wanted it to, to go. And I felt like that would be the end of it. That would be like the end of the storytelling. Um, but, you know, we couldn't mount the picture. It was incredibly difficult to get the budget that I was looking for and to coordinate all the schedules. So it has laid dormant for a while. And, and, and in the meantime, limited series were really starting to catch fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, streaming services were becoming a lot more um, ubiquitous. And so I was like, well, maybe we can make this as a streaming service and then we can give get a good budget or a decent budget and we can have some expansive storytelling. So yes, you know, the idea was do more movies, but now you got almost double that with the limited series. So we got four movies with this. I love it. I mean, I, I want to watch with the family. So I'm, you know, pacing myself. I don't want to, I don't watch the whole. Well, thing all I don't hope you don't have. To, I hope. I hope you don't have two young kids. You know, this, 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 this is very adult, and we're dealing with some very adult issues. Yeah. Well, I um, mean, right out the gate, Morris Chestnut's character, who we know in the past to have been married and you know, kind of well married. Yeah. He's two with two hot mamas with their right. booties out. So, uh, can you talk a little <laughs> bit about? the arc of his character and, and kind of what we can expect from him in this series. I'm glad he shaved well, that beard off. Let me just say that out, out the <laughs> gate. <laughs> well, you know, Lance is having a lot of trouble grieving and getting over the loss of his wife. You know, she was his rock. She was his soulmate and he lost her in the last movie. So even though he has faith in God, that this was God's plan is still very unmoored for him um, to figure out what, you know, how to handle himself. Uh, And so he's trying to cope with the pain and he's dulling it by indulging. And people sometimes do that, you know, rather they go to therapy or they try to pray or what have you, they, they do, they, they resort to some destructive um, measures. Um, And over the journey of the, the, the theories, he will learn, you know, better coping mechanisms, A, and then B, he will have other, another test of his faith as he had in the first two movies. First movie, he was, you know, had to, had to have that crisis of faith of like, can I get married knowing that my wife slept with my, my best man? And then second movie, my wife's dying. How can I accept this um, if I have faith in God? So in this series, he's going to have another challenge to his faith. Uh, what he believes, what he what he what he thinks, what he he knows to be true, and what he uh, you know wishes for um, himself and for his family. And uh, in the very first episode, uh, we're looking at a grown-up Nia Long before two children, and one of the kids yells out, "She's to be a stripper." <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little I, bit? I, of- I missed that. What, what 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 was said? Oh, she used to be a stripper, or is that um 
Is that Regina That's Hall's Candace. character? Yeah. So Regina, Regina right. yeah, Regina Hall's character and one of the little girls yells out she used to be a stripper. Um, so you did say it was an adult uh, series, but can we talk about Regina Hall and the growth and development of her character over, you know, sort of what we can expect from that couple in this series? Yeah, Candace and Merch, you know, they're they're in the um, you know, the the kind of the malaise of marriage, right? You know, like yeah. they're they're just going along and like, okay, we're we're opening schools and um, you know, we're 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 raising children and he's raising money for his schools and she's the administrator there, but you know, she says it right off the bat, you know, she's it's just the same thing every day, so on a little bit of a hamster wheel. And she's dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome, um, in uh, when we when we when we meet her again, like she is she worthy of of you know being in her in her husband's shadow? Um, what what does she want for herself besides being a wife and a, and a mother? And you know does she want to continue um, her education? So she she's going to end up going and pursuing a, a, a postgraduate degree. Um, and 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 something in, in the island kind of inspires her to do that. So there's that, and then the merch is also going to be always the sympathetic one, always the one that's that's that's, that's sensitive. Um, and, I, and 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 over the course of the series, there's a little like the sensitivity um, begins to turn a little little, little sour mm-hmm. uh, from a number of different factors. And you know, merch is going to express himself in ways that he hasn't um, previously, um, which you know, but I think, and I think it's all encapsulated under under um growth and midlife uh metamorphosis and midlife renaissance that these characters are going through where where they're at a time at their age where they ask a lot of questions a lot of things are happening in our in our bodies and in our lives and our we're parenting our children we're parenting our parents we're 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 negotiating our relationships um the, the relationships are are evolving and and, and morphing and are we doing that at the same rate as a couple are we doing that differently individually I think a lot of people um, are going through that at, at, at this age yeah. and since the pandemic I think many of us are reevaluating everything mm-hmm. when it comes to how we want to move forward the grown folks in my house streamed it during the holidays here's your dose of espresso strong hot news now this is the espresso. I'm Angelique. I'm no fan of the Kardashians, but I love hearing from their victims. Lamar Odom tells his side of the story in Sex, Drugs, and the Kardashians. Addicted to Coke. That was my girlfriend. I had a wife and cocaine. Okay, you know this man Where are you going? You going to the Addicted to sex. Having full blown relationships on the road. Your wife is Khloe Kardashian. You bugging. Now streaming on Hulu, TMZ presents Lamar Odom's Sex, Drugs, and the Kardashians. Coming soon to theaters and HBO Max, they redid House Party. Oh, my God. We in LeBron's house. LeBron who? <laughs> I need 10 Gs by next week. I got to pay for my daughter's school. LeBron. They on vacation. How about we throw the party in the king's house? Yeah, I might have to check this new house party out. In theaters, January 13th. I'm Angelique with The Espresso. 
Cafe Mocha, Angelique along with Yo-Yo on the line. He is the creator of The Best Man, Malcolm Lee. Just to take a little slight turn, can we talk about your thoughts on the pressure of Twitch Boss? And what advice can you share since we're talking about just, you know, life and dealing with different adversities? I don't know what that brother was going through. It's obviously very tragic what happened. I feel for him. I feel for his children. I feel for his wife and his many, many fans and Ellen um, and the lives that he touched. Um, it's really hard to to to, um, to quantify what goes on in, inside of a person. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they can be, be presenting themselves in the most dynamic way, and as he seemed to be doing. But clearly he was in some dark places um, that he could not find a way out of. And I think that, you know, we, there's a lot of talk very recently about, you know, therapy, particularly the, the therapy in our community yeah. Yeah. Um, that that I think is necessary. You know, um, your friends can, can't can't always take on your burden. They can't unpack everything that, that's that's going on in, in, in your in your in your life um, and, and there's tr- things that are troubling you. Um, so I think it's important for people to seek help uh, if, they, if they feel that they need it or if they feel like they, they're in a rut. Um, it's, no, it's not a sign of weakness. It's, in fact, a sign of strength. Um, and, and I think that there, there, there has been a stigma in our community in particular about like, oh, you know, ain't nothing wrong with you. You know, and, and people, we have dealt with, generational trauma, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, systemic racism and, you know, the things that happened to our ancestors are within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it is, it is important that we break the cycle um, and, you know, be, and not be dismissive of mental health um, the way we, we, we historically have yeah, been. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that, that, and it's something to talk about because we don't really talk about it a lot. And to see a lot of these male characters go from being hood boys to being lead men, you know, and to really be, you know, deal with a lot of um, trauma in, our, in their everyday lives. I think it's just something to be talked about. Is there something, you know, do you consider with the rate of suicide in the black community for black men, something to address in real time? As like as a writer, you know, because yeah. I wonder, like artistically, what's our responsibility to shift and, you know, change how people see these things and how they deal with them as a writer, those things that sort of you deal with when you're writing stories? Well, you know, it, 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 if, I'm, if I'm talking strictly about the best man, I... I have a responsibility to the characters I created and, yeah. you know, and, and to be, and for them to be a reflect, and they've always been a reflection of, you know, aspirational black people, um, uh, you know, and, and displaying black humanity. And that is, runs the gamut from, you know, being well-dressed and being upwardly mobile and going through hard times and dealing with adversity and crying, you know, to your friend and letting, letting them know that I love you and I need you. Let me ask you, looking at these characters, knowing that writers infuse a bit of themselves in any, all, or one particular character, uh, which character is most you or 
that you're most fond of? I love all these characters. Of you know, course you all, do. <laughs> they're all your children. All, we know. Yes, they are all my children. I yeah. have no I mean, favorites. They all, came, <laughs> they all came out of me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I, I have a lot of Jordan traits. I have a lot of Harper traits. I, I, to hear Harold Perrineau tell it, I, I have merch traits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to, to hear my kids uh, in, uh, uh, as, a, as a parent, uh, you know, I, I, I can get a little bit more like Lance. You know, um, you know, yeah. I don't think there's there's much Quentin in me, but I know a lot of Quentins. So, but at the same time, you know, there's no one character that's any one person. You know, right. particularly now, as we um, have evolved with these characters. But yeah, right. I mean, at times I've, I've I've felt like all these characters, you know, with, with like Jordan, like trying to have some work life balance really hard. You know, Harper wanted to be taken more seriously as an artist. I went through that, you know, wanting outside validation, you know, like merch, trying to be, trying to be sensitive, but, you know, sometimes it's not always like, you know, Mm -hmm. well-received. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of all these, these guys and and particularly and some of these women too, believe it or not, that, that, you know, are uh, are part of Malcolm Lee. They are they're all a part of Malcolm Lee. But you know, all right. some traits accentuated more than others. So, is this really going to be the end of the best man? How many episodes can we expect? And is this really going to be? There the are answer? there are eight episodes. They drop all at once, and they'll be available first thing in the morning if you choose. Have your hot cocoa, get your workout, watch the watch the series. You can watch it one after the other, and then it's going to be over. It's the final chapter's title for a reason, and it's over. And I hope yeah. you, I hope that people will enjoy it. Well, I'm definitely if, looking forward to it. What, what if we want more, Malcolm? Huh? Well, <laughs> it's better to leave you wanting more. Yes. Than to than to than to than to see more, and then you say, "Why they do that?" Right. Like, 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 I, 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 I don't want to ever be that guy person that said that, that where people, people say why he do that why is he love well we, we, we were we were happy with how okay. things went. we didn't know how good we had it accepted I mean? accepted Let, let's just accept let's just enjoy the time that we spend with these folks yes and you know and we'd rather we'd rather we'd rather miss them then be mad with them. Right. That's true. Malcolm, thank you. The best man, the final chapters streaming on Peacock. Thank you. Thank you so (laughs) much, Malcolm. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate y'all. No problem. You too. Make sure you check it out on Peacock. The best man, final chapters. Wrapping up the show, reminding you to subscribe to the podcast. We've got a lot of extra content on the podcast. Go to mochapodcastnetwork.com, mochapodcastnetwork.com. And of course, follow us on all platforms at Cafe Mocha Radio. Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media. Executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit cafemocharadio.com. 
Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, Targeted electronic newsletter. Experienced sales representation. For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.